Fun fact. I've been married once, but I've had five wedding rings. I lost four of them, and the last one I bought cheap in the Philippines. It's made out of really hard metal. I've watched videos about ring avulsion. I do not want to wear it. I'm actually scared of the fifth wedding ring. But the first one I lost in Fiji. We were playing catch on a big family holiday and uh, suddenly realized, man, my wedding ring has gone. And it was just before I came to my interview here at the street and I left uh, Jenny and my three daughters in Aussie and I flew here just for a night. And so I turn up at the airport and suddenly so many sort of point things that I would point to as sort of identifying me, you know, a wedding ring or a wife or, or, or children, are all gone. And I'm standing there in a queue uh, at passport control with like little more than a backpack and a Bear Grylls autobiography. And, 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 and I'm sort of asking this question, who am I? I wonder how you would answer that question. I wonder when you think, who am I? What would you point to? To help you answer that question, it is such an important question because I hear it being asked again and again and again. Just in thinking about this message, I've read two articles really recently on stuff that are asking in that question, who am I? And it's really important because when we ask it and we don't find a good answer, it is really, really uncomfortable. It's a question I hear being asked in our culture, in the liberal West. We've removed so many objective standards. We've said that people should be free to be whoever they want to be. You're a blank canvas. You do you. You know, you discover who you are. And it sounds a lot like freedom. But I just wonder if it's leading so many people to feel very, very lost. And it's really, really important that we answer this question in the church as followers of Jesus as well. Because I hear there's a risk, I think, creeping into the church that following Jesus is about self-fulfillment. That if I follow Jesus, he's going to make me the very best version of myself. I'm going to be the best husband and I'm going to be the best parent. And I'm going to be really good at school. And so I'm going to get good grades and that will help me get a really good job. And I'll pray that God helps me do well at my job. And so I'll get promotions and I'll get pay rises and I'll be a really good neighbor because that sounds like the Bible, right? And so I'll have lots of friends. But at the core of following Jesus is God being at work in your life, forming you to be like Jesus. That means you won't go with the flow. That means you're going to stand out and be different. That means the way you live is actually going to be a little bit divisive. And if we have a, a shaky view of who I am, following Jesus will actually become an uncomfortable and unpleasant experience. It's also important that we answer this question, who am I, because life happens. I have a really good friend who was pretty successful and he became sick for a long time. Suddenly he wasn't able to do the job that he used to do. Suddenly his life wasn't taking him to spend time with the same sort of people. Suddenly he wasn't doing the same activities. So many of the things that he would have pointed to and say, that's who I am, that's who he is, was suddenly gone. And God, I think, used it as quite a painful journey to discover very deeply who God said he was. And sure, it was much less shaky when he discovered it, but still painful along the way. Last week, we celebrated Easter. And I promised you that, um, that what we believe about Jesus changes everything. And I want to turn the tables a little bit this week as we head back into this Jesus, the early years series. 
I want to turn the tables and suggest that what we believe about ourselves can also be life-changing. We're spending some weeks observing the life of Jesus, working out what did it look like, what do we see in his life, and what does that mean for how we follow in his footsteps. And what we see in today's passage, when Jesus is baptized, we see the question answered who he was. And I think in that we get to discover a little bit more of who we are. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to answer this question, who am I? Uh, We're going to go to Luke chapter 3. If you have a Bible, open it now. Scroll there on your phone, or I'm going to put it on the screen, and uh, we'll read along together. So Jesus is baptism. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The context of this this text is before Jesus was in ministry. We actually know very little of his life up until this point, but the, the context of this passage helps us understand where he didn't get his identity from. He's about 30 at this point, first century uh, Jewish community, poor family. He has no wife by this stage and no children. By the measure of his culture, Jesus does not stack up. So he's not getting his identity from cultural norms. He hasn't preached a single word of a message at this point. No miracles, and he hasn't called a single disciple. It's not a successful ministry where he's getting his identity from. So where is it coming from? And it's in these moments that we hear heaven open in the voice of the Father, you are my son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Jesus entered into three years of world-changing ministry with these words ringing in his ears, and rooted deep in his being. I think we need to look a bit deeper, don't you? We're going to go there even if you said no. First thing, you are my son. I remember asking my mum once, Mum, why'd you buy so much cheese? As I am cutting a giant slice off of a big block of cheese. She's like, because you eat all of it. I, I, I ate cheese at the rate that only a child can do, you know? And I've never lived in the house my mum and dad uh, live in right now. I've never even been to that house. But one day soon, I'm hoping to go there. And when I do, I know I will feel at home. I know I'm going to put my feet up. And I know I'm going to raid the fridge like it's my own. I know I belong because I'm still a son. And that doesn't fade with time. And it doesn't go up and down with performance. I am a son. And I therefore belong. Jesus in his very nature is the son of God and he has made a way through him for us to become children of God so that the words that are spoken over Jesus here are rightly spoken over us. And I realize for some of us we have mixed family experiences but whatever your family experience it is too, it is still low. However great it was, it's lower than what God says about you. And however poor it was, please don't let that rob you of what is is rightly yours if you have believed in Jesus. The words, you're my son or daughter, you're my child whom I love with you, I'm well pleased, are true of you if you have believed in Jesus. If we go to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul describes being adopted into God's family in this way. He says, in love he predestined us 
for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. When we believe in Jesus, we become adopted into his family. But when we get adopted, we realize this wasn't a new thing. Before the foundation of the earth, God thought of you. And he adopted you into his family. In Roman culture, to be adopted into a family was as good as a proper child. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He didn't do it because, like, well, I suppose I have to. He did it because of his pleasure and will. He just loves to love you in this way and make you a part of his family. I wonder how many people, many of us draw near to God when we're doing well and we pull away when we feel like we're not doing so well. Both of those are wrong. We belong in the presence of God. We're declared part of his family because of our status as children of God. Identity marker number one, I belong because I'm a child of God. Then he goes on and he says, you are my son whom I love. Whom I love. Two years ago, I made the most life-changing discovery. It's called Smoky Pokey Ice Cream by Wooden Spoonery, I think. Just go with me. Smoky Pokey Ice Cream. Nothing else comes close. When I think about this ice cream, oh, it makes me smile. Like, I can't really afford to buy it all the time. It's more expensive than gold. But sometimes I sort of, when I'm going down the ice cream aisle, I look just to see if it's on the shelf. It's like no other ice cream in the world uh, matters. I just look for that one. It's like there's no other flavor. It's exquisite, salty, smoky caramel that's just swirled through the most wonderful ice cream. I will sing its praises. I'll tell anybody who's willing to hear just how great Smoky Pokey ice cream is because it's my favorite. And when the father says, you're my son whom I love, it means he thinks fondly of you. He means when you come to his mind, he smiles. When he looks at you, it's like he's looking at the only person in the world. He'll tell anyone who listens just how amazing he thinks you are. Do you know Zechariah tells us that he sings loud songs of joy over you. You, When you become a child of God, when you become a follower of Jesus, a child of God, it's like you become God's favorite. Just let that sink in. How much of a difference would that make to your everyday life to live like you're God's favorite? I wonder how much criticism would just sort of wash off. I wonder how much praise from others you would no longer need. I wonder how much more deeply we could serve other people knowing that our status on earth could never discount being God's favorite. I feel like I would skip through life, you know? I feel like I just, I would just have to skip or, or, you know, sort of just dance through life knowing, just feeling the smile of him over me, hearing those songs of joy over me. It's, it would be like nothing mattered. This one's my favorite. You're my favorite. Identity marker two. You're loved like a favorite. And finally, the end of the phrase, with you I am well pleased. This is a challenging one, right? If we're honest. Because it makes me wonder when and where we celebrate people. 
when we say to people, I'm so pleased with you. You know, when we do something really well, when we get good grades, when we get a good job, when we win a race, when we do something kind, when we buy somebody a thoughtful present. Oh, I'm so pleased with you. You've done so well. Now, none of these things are inherently bad. But if we're not careful, we'll assume that people can only be pleased about us when we're doing something good. I've been so conscious of this when in parenting. You know, when school reports come and it tells you every year in like reading and writing and something else. Maths? Maths. Let's go with maths. The teachers in the room are just raising their hands. Amen. And you get the scores. Are you below the average or, or a standard or at the standard or above the standard? I've been so conscious to just push those aside and say, girls, what I really want to know is are you working hard? And when challenges come along, are you learning to overcome? Those are the details I want to know. Not right now, whether you're above or at or below. What I want to know is, do you know how to work hard? Because I think that's what helps you be successful. And yet, this message has challenged me on that as well. Because what am I really doing? I'm substituting performance to trying hard. I'm well pleased with you when you work hard. I'm well pleased with you when you overcome adversity when you measure up to what I think is important. I've spent so much of my life trying to measure up. I told so many lies as a child about who I was and where I'd lived or where I went on holiday because I just want pe- wanted people to be pleased with me. I wouldn't be honest. For so many years, I wouldn't be honest about what I really wanted. I would just wait to hear what other people wanted, just so I would fit in. Because if I fitted in with them, then they would be well pleased with me. Even today, it is uncomfortable for me to leave food on my plate. Because because I got so much praise when I finished my dinner. Because I wanted people to be pleased with me. When I was five and recovering from flu, I was in a little swimming lesson and we had a little race at the end and I came second. I was gutted because from a very early age, I knew that winning gets praise. If not from other people, from myself. One of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life was sitting on a couch and a counsellor saying to me, Simon, you could sit on a couch your whole life and God would be no less pleased with you. I thought my heart was going to stop. Literally thought I was going to drop dead because my life has been wrapped up in earning earning other people's pleasure and sometimes, most often, the hardest person to please is me. By this point in Jesus' ministry, he has achieved nothing and yet he hears the voice of the Father, you are my son, whom I love. You're my favorite. And before you have achieved anything, I'm so pleased with you. And the son would go on to live the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve so that when we believe in Jesus, we get adopted into his family that without doing anything else, we might hear those words ringing in our ears. We might hear those words 
rooted in the very depths of our being. You're my child whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. With you I'm well pleased. Who am I? Who am I? How do you answer that question? You will always search your whole life unless it begins with, I belong as a child of God. I am loved like a favorite and with me. He is well pleased. Jesus gave us a prayer. We know it's the Lord's Prayer. And it begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Jesus knew that everyday life would constantly put a question mark over you. Who are you? Do you know? Have you defined it? And Jesus gave us a prayer that answers that question every single day. I'm a child of God, I belong. It has nothing to do with behavior. It has nothing to do with how we're doing. I belong as a child of God. I'm loved as a favorite. With me, he is well pleased. You know, I wonder if you actually believed this was true. I wonder what the first thing you'd do is. I want to encourage you to find a way every single day of bringing yourself to this point, of reminding of yourselves of these things. One suggestion would be write it on a mirror. Put it on the wall next to your toothbrush, assuming you are somebody who cleans your teeth twice a day. It's not helpful if you don't. Maybe you want to slide out of bed every single morning, get on your knees just for a moment. Say, Lord, I remind myself right now I'm a, I'm a child of God. I remind my soul that I am loved like a favorite. And before I've done anything today, I just sense your pleasure and I hear you sing loud songs of joy over me. Should we pray? Our Father, we want to thank you so much that we've been adopted into your family, that we are much loved. And I pray, Lord God, that this would sink deep and be life-changing. And in the way that we live as children of God, we might display to the world a way of life that is inherently attractive and that other people want to join. I pray for anybody right now watching who has never believed in Jesus, that they would begin a conversation with you right now, saying, God, thank you for your great love. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that by believing in you, I become a child of God. (laughs) Much loved that with you, with me, you're well pleased now because I believe in Jesus. That's it, it's done. God, I pray that the truth of this would penetrate our souls and help us live differently. We pray in your name. Amen.